0: So we want to to just talk about stewardship. And uh, so at least today and the next Sunday, we're going to talk from this text about treasures in heaven. And we're going to see how you and I can obey Jesus' command to lay up treasure in heaven. And um, so look at Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 19. I'm going to read it. I'll give you our outline and then we'll bow in prayer. Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's bow in prayer. Father, it is such a privilege today to be able to, to preach your word, to be able to expound words that are not of human origin, divine words, words of the Savior, uh, who spoke uh, words of eternal life, who spoke truth. We thank you for a perfect, sinless Savior. We thank you, Father, that you've given us your word, and we you've recorded it as Holy men of God, in this case, Matthew, uh, wrote the word of God, wrote the things that he remembered and the things that Jesus said, and that you've given us your word today so that we can know what saith the Lord. Father, help us, help folks. Lord, I know that money, especially in our day and age, is, is a it can be a very painful issue uh, because sometimes uh, p- people just they struggle financially. And the pressures of finances, the pressures of bills can overwhelm people. Uh, It has severed and broken many a marriage. It has created animosity in families. And Father, I'm so grateful that this is not a topic that you've ignored. It is something that you give such clear insight. And it's something that we can be blessed if we will but take the time to learn The principles of your word and to begin to align our lives according to the Scriptures. And I pray for your blessing today and next Sunday. And Father, I pray that as we look as a church to the next year and are giving to missions and the furtherance of the gospel, that you would help those that can give to give in a way where other people would hear the gospel, that people would be saved in the next year that seeds would be planted, that your word would go forth uh, because we have enabled, not just through our prayers, but through our giving, uh, other servants, missionaries, evangelists, and so forth, to go forth into areas that we may never go in our lives and to further the gospel so that the the, uh, Great Commission is being fulfilled by us. Lord, bless those that are not here today. Bless those that are battling Various Ill- illnesses. Bless those that are away. And uh, just help us. Father, thank you again for Skip and for Kylie. We just pray for their healing, complete healing, and for their bodies to receive uh, the, the kidneys and, and, and never to reject them. Just give them both great long lives. And uh, bless Joanne and Ed, and bless Mr. Kerr. And Lord, we just and bless Peg Willie. We pray that you'd lift up these folks and encourage their hearts. And um, Father, help us to glorify you today. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, thanks again for being here. Look at Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to look at the words of the Savior. And we're going to, our focus today is the topic of what Jesus is discussing in verses 19 through 21. Treasure. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Uh, But rather, the Bible says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so we are talking about giving. And um, there are two aspects when it comes to the Bible. In fact, I would encourage you, if you've not listened to uh, a sermon that I preached a year or two ago. um, And I think it's called something like, Those That Are Unable To Give. It's on Sermon Audio. It's probably other places, Facebook, YouTube. But uh, it's called, Those That Are Not Able To Give and for years as we've been here uh, people you know i would call for prayer before an offering and a lot of people when they would pray a lot of the men or the lot of the, the the prayers would be lord bless those that can give and bless those that cannot give and and i tucked that away in my mind and i thought you know are there really people that cannot give and i come to realize that there are people that cannot give and so i talk about that more in a message called Those That Are Unable to Give. I think that's what it's called. But what we're going to look at today and and next week, there's two kinds of giving in the Scripture. There is what the Bible calls tithes. And then there's another thing called offerings. Now, we're going to be focusing the next week or two just on some basic financial principles and the idea of giving. Um, But we're more going to be focusing on the offering aspect, which the offerings are definitely what we would call free will offerings, voluntary, uh, and that's what faith promises. That's why when I, when I say we're giving you an opportunity to give, I'm not pressuring you. I, I, I have this thing, I, I'm haunted by this. Many years ago, uh, many years ago, if you look at our seats right now, there was a time when we brought these chairs brand new, uh, they're a little stained. and You should have seen the seats we had before. Wooden, slatted, horrible, I mean uncomfortable seats. And those of you that were around back then, you would remember them. But I remember when we were raising money for these new seats that you sit in, uh, I made the challenge. And it was a, just a way for people to, you know, if they wanted to get on board, I thought, I, I, I didn't think I was, you know, pressuring people. And, and, and so I thought I, of a very clever idea. I thought, would you consider buying your own pew or your own chair? And, you know, we're, the chairs cost X number of dollars. And maybe you could buy a chair for each one in your family. It was not mandatory. We put no pressure. We didn't check who was giving and who wasn't. It was just an idea. Just, you know, trying to get people to buy help buy the chairs. Well, apparently... Somebody heard that and really got offended and stopped coming to church. And I found out about it two years after the fact. Oh, that's always a blessing, you know. Oh, why they leave the church? They left the church because of that. They didn't have to buy a stupid chair, okay? You know, and and I'd love that person if they would still come back. But you know, we get we get sensitive about these things, and I understand that. So I want you to understand if you can't give, if you're really financially strapped or you just don't feel like giving no pressure right no pressure when we have the offering we you know I have none of our ushers have ever handed the plate back because somebody didn't give you know or none of our ushers ever glared at someone if they didn't put enough in the offering I mean it's between you and God and and so I want you to understand that okay everyone understand that nobody's going to leave because we had a faith promise campaign, okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know, I'm still not sure about you. Okay, that's fine. I get it. But um, So what we're going to do now is we're talking about treasures in heaven because that's that's what Jesus is challenging us. Look at Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we're going to see three things over the next two weeks at least, maybe all today, I doubt it. But we're going to talk about treasure and what Jesus says about treasure You need to understand what treasure is. What's that word mean? What is treasure? Because if you're going to obey this challenge to lay up treasure in heaven, you need to understand the word treasure. And what it is, is it's the supply that we need. And then secondly, uh, we're going to talk about the nature of things. Jesus says something about treasures. And... Some treasure, which we lay up on earth, can decay. Moth and rust doth doth corrupt. Thieves can break through and steal. But there's another kind of treasure that we can have where moth and rust can't corrupt and thieves can't break through and steal. And so he's telling us that we are to lay up treasure in heaven because it lasts longer. We can relate to that, can't we? You know, things... Things have built-in demands. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And then finally, the last verse, uh, verse 21, uh, we're going to talk about treasure and the matter of the heart. What we invest in, what we accumulate, what we work for, tells us a lot about where our heart is. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let's jump in. And let's look at verse 19, and what is treasure? What does Jesus mean when he says, lay up treasure in heaven? Look at verse 19. Lay not up, so this is, a you're forbidden, he doesn't want you to do this. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Then the next verse, rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So we have two options when it comes to our treasure. But what is treasure? What is our treasure? The word treasure is interesting. It actually comes from a Latin word. In fact, treasure is a Latin word. And it's been carried over into the English. And here are the two definitions, primary definitions of treasure. It is wealth accumulated, particularly a stock or store of money in reserve. So the idea of treasure is it's wealth accumulated. Or a stock or store of money in reserve. That's interesting because we use, we use financial phrasing sometimes to be analogies to other things. Because money is, for example, talking about stock. You ever say something like this? I put a lot of stock in that. Mm-hmm. And yet you don't have any financial investment. What are you talking about? How can you put stock in something if you don't own stocks or mutual funds? No, we're not talking about that. When we talk about we put stock in something, in other words, we value that. You know, we use that financial idea of stocks to talk about where our priorities are. And that's true for treasure. So a treasure is wealth accumulated or particularly a stock or store of money in reserve. Second definition of treasure. A great quantity of anything collected for future use. That's treasure. And Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So what does he mean? He's talking about wealth accumulated. Anything that, again, a great quantity of anything collected... For future use. Now, the, Paul would say this in um, 1 Corinthians chapter four. He said, "We look, we look at, we look not at the things which are seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But we look at the things which are not seen, because they are eternal. And that's the idea of what Jesus is saying here. We have two choices. We can stockpile." are wealth, or things, so they are used later, and we can do nothing but use them on this side of heaven. Or we can lay up treasure, and somehow we can lay that up in heaven. Only one of them lasts. We're going to look, maybe even next week we might get to it, about a parable where Jesus... or uh, The story where Jesus talked about the rich man who accumulated great wealth and he had so much wealth he had to tear down his barns and build bigger. Now we're going to talk about the idea of if treasure is accumulated wealth, is it always wrong to, for example, is it wrong to have a savings account because isn't that accumulated wealth? Is that wrong? Some people believe it is. Some people think if you're not you're not giving away everything that comes in then you're you're not living for God we're going to talk about that but first I want to remind you that everything we have belongs to God do you remember in Psalm 24 and verse 1 the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein God owns everything doesn't he and and here's where I want to present to you, and I want you to get hold of, because it's very basic, but if you don't understand this concept, you're never going to be able to understand the Bible's teachings about money or anything else. And it's this idea of stewardship. Have you ever heard of stewardship? A steward was a picture of Bible times. A steward was somebody that would manage someone else's possessions. Uh, There was the steward of a house. Remember Joseph in Genesis. Joseph became the steward of Potiphar. And and everything that that Potiphar owned, he was the owner. He put everything in Joseph's hand. Joseph didn't own any of it, but he, he was responsible for it. And... That idea of the Old Testament steward is carried into the New Testament. And God says that you and I are stewards. It is required in stewards, Paul told Corinthians, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now here's here's the concept. A treasure, again, by definition, a treasure is something set aside for future use. So when Jesus says, lay up treasure in heaven, that's probably the best use of treasure, is that we're taking something earthly and we are making it last for all eternity. There is a concept that I grew up with and many of you grew up with. Our parents, our grandparents, maybe your grandparents. There there were habits, when when I was younger, there were habits that my parents had and my grandparents had that are now very foreign to most Americans. In fact, it is actually viewed with contempt. And some have even put a spin on it to make it sound unspiritual. And I'm talking about the idea of savings. I remember I have visions of my parents, and I, I may talk about my parents a lot this year, you'll understand, forgive me, Uh, I have visions of my parents. My mom and dad, once a week, I think, would sit at the kitchen table with this huge graph paper, green graph paper, and they would go over the budget. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what they were doing. Uh, They were very peaceful about it. (laughs) You know, that was a testimony there. Uh, But they would would always go over the finances. And I have this vision of them doing that together. uh, And my parents were very wise. My parents... um, and I've shared this specifically with some of you, back in 1967, I think it was, I was three or four years old, we moved from Drexel Hill out to Westchester and bought a house uh, for what, you know, for a certain amount of money. And my parents, and we, I grew up in that house in Westchester. We lived in that house. And when my parents died this past year, it was sold and it was the best investment that I ever had. You know, I think a proverb says... Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers, parents is the idea. And, you know, what a blessing that they were able, that they are blessing us. But when my parents, when I was growing up, it was normal for people to save. Uh, The first bank my mom took me to to start investing or just to save money was called Dimes Savings Bank, and that's what I saved Because that's all I had was dimes, you know, dime savings bank, and um, you know the Bible challenges us. I'm going to read to you some statistics. During Ronald Reagan's first administration, so we're talking about the 1980s now, the poorest 90 percent of American households saved 10 percent of their income. That was, and it was very common for people to save. Your parents or your grandparents. Uh, may have very well encouraged you about the the wisdom of saving. Uh, And by the way, this was written in um, 2006 or 2007. As of 2006, the average American saving rate was closer to negative 10%. That's a big change. From the 1980s to 2006, we, we, you know, The poorest 50% of American households save 10% of their income. And then fast forward just, what, two decades or so? And now the savings rate is negative 10%. But America is not alone at this time. Over the past three decades, the savings rate in other countries has also dropped. Canada, Germany, Japan. Um, According to the Federal Reserve study in 2007, I believe it was, or 2008, nearly half of Americans... Would not have $400 in an emergency. America's poor and middle class live on the razor's edge of financial security through their working years. So we're not talking about someone that can't work uh, or, you know, during their, if they're able to work, that during their workly, working years, they, they are uniquely ill prepared for retirement, let alone for giving to worthy causes. Uh, and at the time, United States finished 19th for three consecutive years in a global analysis of retirement security behind Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South Korea, Canada, and 13 Europe- European countries. Times have changed. Because, in fact, I remember as a young man, a young teenager, I was not wise with my money. And it was still a time where there were a lot of older people that were wise. And I remember feeling guilt when people would ask me. I remember feeling guilt when I met my wife. My wife embraced the policies of her father. He was very wise. And so when I met my wife, I found out that she had a savings account. And she found out that I had credit card debt. Isn't that wonderful? A marriage made in heaven. And do you know when we got married, it only took me a couple years to eat through her savings and get us in debt? And I am not bragging. I am confessing. I say it with my head you know, held low that I was not wise financially. And I would feel guilty if, if people, you know, like my grandfather, you know, you, you have a savings account, right? <clears throat> so what's new, Grandpa? You know, that kind of thing. But today it's so bad that Christians even look at anyone that has savings. Well, why would I do that? That's hoarding. You ever heard that? Mm -hmm. More and more I meet Christians, even pastors, who have this idea that we should not have a savings account. Why would we want to accumulate money? We should be investing in the kingdom. We've lost this idea of savings. And by the way, if you... Have a limited treasure. That is, you're you're not accumulating much because you're against savings. Then that's going to change the whole picture on your ability to be able to give to anything, helping people that are struggling, helping poor, given to the church or anything else, given to the Lord. You will not be able to do it if you have limited treasure. Jesus said, or not Jesus? Excuse me. When he's talking about laying up treasure. He's not saying, don't save. And I give you this as as a kind of example number one, or maybe number two, depending on. Jesus said, in Proverbs, I I said, not Jesus. Here's the Bible, Proverbs, twice in Proverbs. Chapter six and verse six, the Bible says, and it's only speaking to certain people. It's saying this to lazy people. Okay? And here's what it says to lazy people. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Why is God using an ant as an illustration? What are ants good for? Well, they're good for stomping on. They're good for ruining picnics. They're good for invading your house Yuck, right? But God is saying we can learn something so wise when we look at the ant. Go to the ant thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. How does God want us to be like ants? Which, verse 7, having no guide, overseer, or ruler, here's what's so commendable, here's what's... um. Worthy of example in an ant. She provides her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. And then Proverbs 6, uh, he goes on and, and really exhorts the lazy person to get up and work, you know, if you can. So what's so commendable about the ant? They provide ahead of time. They are aware of times and seasons. They realize there's a time to work And there's a time to rest. There's a time when you can invest and get treasures to take care of later. That's that foresight. And then again, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 25 again commends us to the ant. The ants are a people not strong yet. God's going to praise the ant again. And what's so praiseworthy about the ant other than what he already mentioned? Oh, He mentions the same thing again. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. You know, God wants us to prepare ahead as much as humanly possible. And and one of the reasons God provides for us is so that we can be wise, plan ahead, and then be a blessing with that treasure. Remember what treasure is? It's accumulated wealth. It's, it's something we've set aside for the future. Now, what was wrong with the guy, the guy that built the barns? Was it that he just laid up for the future? We'll look at that probably next week, but that's not what was being rebuked. It wasn't because he was really, he could have just said, I just found the example of the ant and building up for the future so my family can be taken care of. But he wasn't doing that. His attitude, and this is what was condemned, his attitude is, now I can eat and rest because I have nothing to care for, you know. And in fact, the, the rebuke of Jesus was, of God was, then who shall those things be? If you died, behold, tomorrow your soul will be required of you. And then the things you, who's that going to be for? So the idea is, God is not against us preparing ahead. It's not hoarding if you're planning for your future, Or, if you're making investments, and by the way, Jesus even used the example in the the, um, parable of the uh, steward. Remember, one got one talent, one got three talents, one got five talents. The one that had five talents went and invested and got five more talents. The one with three talents went and invested and got three more talents. The one with one talent went and buried it in the ground. Who was rebuked? The one for one. Not because he didn't, you know, he got less than the others. This was not a parable or a a rebuke of comparison. In fact, what Jesus said to him was, you could have at least put that in the bank and gained a dollar interest. Then you would have been praised. In other words, it's not a matter that one guy got $10, one guy got $6, and then one guy got $2. It was just that they were wise with what they had. And that's all that God wants from you. It doesn't matter whether you make a lot less than someone else in the church or someone, your next door neighbor, you may not be able to have everything that other people have. But the challenge is, you're seeking God to provide your needs. I love the story uh, that Harry Ironside, H.A. Ironside was an old preacher uh, who had a Bible. He had a Bible program and he wrote many um, commentaries on the scriptures that were a big blessing. And uh, he was part of a seminary that he he became a teacher of. And uh, this was, now this was in the, um, I believe it was in the 1960s. And this seminary was in financial trouble. And they needed $10,000 just so they wouldn't close. Now, by the way, today that would be about $200,000 worth. And during chapel one time, they shared, Harry Harry Ironside got up and shared the need. And um, he was a teacher at the school, and and he prayed during that chapel time. He prayed for that need, $10,000. And he said, Lord, and he quoted from Psalm 50 and verse 10, which says, uh, God says, Every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. And, and he prayed, he said, Lord, you own a cattle on a thousand hills. And he said, um, could you please sell some of those cattle and provide this need for $10,000? I mean, you know, he's just using that illustration. And do you know that shortly after that prayer meeting, a check for $10,000 arrived in the mail. And it had been sent days earlier. From that chapel service, and the guy wrote a note with it. He said um, he said, "This money came from the sale of some of my cattle." Oh. Can you imagine that? He wrote the, he prayed that, and the letter was already in the mail. Ten thousand exactly. And it was literally as he prayed, he sold some cattle on a thousand hills. Now, by the way, let's think about the guy that owned those cattle. That man clearly saw that he was a steward. And and God laid it on that man's heart that, you know what, I'm going to sell sell some of this cattle and I'm going to give it to the Lord, to that the seminary, because they need it. He didn't know the need. He didn't know. He didn't know that Harry Ironside was going to pray specifically that. And again, when Harry Um Harry um Harry Ironside prayed that, Lord, would you sell sell some of those cattle? I think most of us realize that he was just, you know, kind of using that as a picture. He wasn't thinking that literally, that he was just saying, Lord, you own it all, so could you please somehow fund it because you own everything? And God, I I love that because the Lord's like, okay, I'll have this guy sell some of my cattle, and I'll give it to you. And it met a need perfectly. So look at verse 19 now. So the the, the idea of treasure, it's through treasure that God meets our needs. The the Bible says, if any man doesn't work, neither should he eat. If you have an ability to work, you're, you're, you're healthy enough, God wants you to work for a living. God wants you to be industrious. So that's how He provides for us. Now look what He says. The nature of things and we'll, we'll probably have to stop here and pick up next week. Jesus said, "Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven." Well, what's the difference? The treasures on earth, look what it says about them in verse 19. "Where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal." Contrast that to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. When you and I take our earthly Possessions, money, goods, accumulation, and we invest them in things of eternal value, then moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break through or steal. I want to share a quote from uh, a man that's been called the the quotable Tozier, A.W. Tozier, And he said this, very wise observation about how our money, which which can be filthy lucre, you know, it, it, when God talks to ministers, qualifications of a pastor, they should not be greedy of filthy lucre. But now listen to what Tozer says. He says, as base a thing as money often is. In other words, it's, it's a lowly thing. You know, um, uh, what did Jesus say? He talked about... Um, Mammon, unrighteous mammon. And the idea of that isn't that it's sinful, it's just, it's not righteous. There's no righteousness in, in things. As base a thing, as money often is, it yet can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. So when we get money, we can translate that into everlasting treasure. How do we do that? He says... It can be converted into food for the hungry, clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel. And thus, and I love this phrase, when we do that. In other words, when we give our finances or material things to eternal causes, what it does is it transmutes itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. You know, when you give to help someone that's struggling, when you give time, it's not just finances, you give time, or you make a meal for someone, or you do something to be a blessing to others, or you give finances to help a missionary to go to a foreign field to present the gospel, you're taking earthly treasure and you're transmuting it for eternal value. That can never be taken away. You know, when the stock market crashed in the 1930s, whatever treasure people had, it was devastating. People lost tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They lost everything. Because it was all invested in the temporal. But you think about what you and I give to missions or to to things that are eternal. Eternal. It can never be taken away. Remember what uh, the missionary James Eliot said? He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's like Tozer. We can take money, which, which can be filthy lucre. It's mammon. It's, it's unrighteous. It's just, it's just kind of generic. We can take that and we can transmute it into eternal riches that can never be taken away. I want to close with this illustration. I've used this a lot. This is, I I want, and some of you are new, so I want you to hear this because it's, it is such a a powerful illustration. It's out of a book called The Legacy Journal. And this story, because the challenge sometimes is people don't tend to think of, they they don't think in stewardship terms. They think in quantity. So many people have said this. I've heard this before. I would love to give, but I don't make enough. And if I only made more, if I made what that guy gave, I'd be able to really give. And wait a minute, remember the one and the three and the five talents? It doesn't matter what other people get or don't. It's just, God just wants us to be faithful with, if we only have one, if we only have half a talent, He just wants us to be faithful with that. So He's not, God's not comparing anything. Listen to this story. A Christian businessman, several years ago, Bought a brand new Mercedes for hundred and thirty thousand dollars. So how long would that have been ago? Uh, when a when a Mercedes was a brand new Mercedes would have been hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Pretty sure it's a lot more than that now. But uh, you know he, he was a, he was a businessman, Christian businessman, and he bought a hundred and thirty. And as soon as he did, he started getting all this hate mail from people, Christians, his brothers in Christ, and. People, church people, they were like scathing. How could you waste? Do you know that one hundred thirty thousand dollars could have been used to feed the poor? That one hundred thirty thousand dollars could have been used to 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 make water wells for people in in underdeveloped countries. That one hundred thirty thousand dollars could have been used to send missionaries to other foreign countries. And he just got all this scathing. Male, and um, it's interesting that people came out of the woodwork to condemn this man what people don't know is that that man at that time was worth 2.2 billion dollars and that year the year that he bought the Mercedes the brand new Mercedes he had given away 500 million dollars of his what he, what he owed. Did you, did you hear that? If he gave away only 10% of his money, that would have been 220 million. You see, this man was worth 2.2 billion. Now, if you do the math, he gave away almost 20% of his net worth, not what he made annually. Do you understand that? This man gave away twenty percent of everything that he was worth five hundred million dollars he gave to missions and to help other people. People didn't know that all they knew is I could never afford a mercedes, and if this guy can afford it there's a phrase I'll close with this there's a man we knew that this with the Lord now I love this guy, but he would always use this phrase, and I started finding myself saying it, and then I realized. This is not a good phrase to use because it's 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 based on envy. Whenever he would hear about someone that was doing better than him, he would say this. Must be nice. You know, did you ever say that? I start saying it, you know. I'd hear about somebody prospering. and I'd be like, must be nice, you know. Wait a minute. That's so discontent. But that's what these people were saying. You're... you're Mr. Businessman, you're able to go out and just waste $130,000 on a car, a luxury car. You could have given away that money and blessed someone else. Well, what I would love to ask those people is, how much of your net worth did you give away the last year? Because this man gave away 20% of his net worth. And most Christians at that time, and even now, don't even give away 20% of their annual income. We have no right to condemn someone else when they're generous above generous and it is their money to do what they want. Remember the parable? We'll talk about that later. So the bottom line, folks, is we don't want to, we don't want to be envious of other people. Say, oh, must be nice. God meets our needs. And God is only interested in what we can give. And by the way, again, if you listen to that message, Christians that are unable to give, there's Christians today that are in so much debt, they need to work on that first, especially before they start giving offerings. And um, there's certain things you can do, certain biblical principles. uh, It is possible. Uh, I know that so many people, I was there. When you're in debt, It can just be overwhelming and discouraging. And then you look at other people that buy Mercedes Benz and you think, must be nice, you know. But the bottom line is, if you're not where God wants you to be, and you're not debt free, you're not living within your means, put a break on things and work on that. There's certain things you can do, and we have resources available. Uh, We have a financial seminar that we do every once in a while that is so helpful in in really motivating people that are down and really in debt and gets them inspired to live within their means with very practical uh, advice in the seminar. Uh, We'd love for you to be a part of that. Uh, But the bottom line is, don't you want to be in a place where you can bless other people? How you want, how the Lord leads. It's a great place to be. It's a whole lot better to be in a position where you hear someone having a need and you say we can help that person as opposed to the other scenario ring hello hello this is visa debt collector no <laughs> i don't know where you're at but may god first of all give you peace and, and again if you're struggling financially just just forget about faith promise missions don't don't pastor's not asking you to buy a chair or anything like that okay just just let's work to get you out of debt and be in a place where you can have financial freedom. And uh, come back next week. We'll continue. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, I know that um, our finances can be a big area of rebuke, that uh, if we are not faithful with the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to our trust the true riches, and that uh, our spending habits are often a reflection of, of our character, and our ability to be trusted with other things. And so I pray that you just help those that are really struggling. uh, Help them not to be dismayed or despair. Help them to uh, seek out the help and to get excited and realize that, that they can live within their means and they can get out of debt. It is possible. People are doing it all the time. And just encourage their hearts, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.